0: I'm Letitia, host of the New Leaf Podcast, created for new and working mums everywhere. Over the course of this series, I interview women from a variety of industries to share their journeys of what happened to their professional and personal identities when they had their babies and headed back to work, exploring the good, the bad and the ugly. The motherhood space can be a scary one, but it doesn't have to be. By interviewing women in all spaces and lines of work and sharing their different experiences, I want to show you that there is no one right way and that we're all kind of winging it. My mission is to revolutionize the way we look at pregnancy, birth and motherhood, taking the judgment, pressure and expectations out and putting the confidence back in so that one day we can all say that it's my motherhood, my choice. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at New Podcast if you want to continue the conversation with the hashtag, #MyMotherhoodMyChoice. Before we begin, I've got something extra special for you. Click the episode details to subscribe to New Leaf Nutshell, my exclusive monthly write-up straight to your phone to break down and summarise some of the most controversial motherhood topics in a nutshell. Right now, I'm settling the sleep training debate, exploring the murky baby sleep industry and detailing the pros and cons of sleep training, as well as what to do when nothing is working, all to support anyone who's sleep deprived right now. I've referenced nearly 100 academic articles to give you impartial and well-researched advice with none of the judgment. Doing all the Googling so you don't have to. Right, let's get on with my intro to our next lovely guest. The incredible Susie Allison, aka the legendary Busy Toddler, joins me on today's episode of New Leaf. I discovered Busy Toddler as a recommendation when I was unbelievably stuck with my 11 month old at the very start of the pandemic in 2020. We'd fled our small flat with no garden in London with two weeks worth of things right before the lockdown and were incredibly fortunate to stay in a small empty property of my mum's that had outside space that she'd been letting out back up in my hometown of Birmingham. In our newfound space and knowing no one, with nowhere to go or to socialise my son, thanks to a lot of playgrounds with taped up swings and slides, like most mums, I felt very isolated. There were many a day where the time just seemed to tick backwards, I had been just about to go back to work and all of a sudden it was all out the window and I had a needy, bored and lonely mini toddler or TABY, a toddler baby hybrid, which is a really challenging age around one year old, where your baby is just getting into toddlerhood and it was a challenge to keep him occupied for 13 hours of the day alone. One day, at the end of my tether, I'd texted my sister-in-law, who was two kids up on me at that point, asking for ideas. She recommended an American Instagram account, Busy Toddler, and one of the first ideas I'd spotted seemed so simple. It was just to get a tub, fill it full of rice, get some kitchen utensils, and just leave them to it to scoop and pour. What? I thought to myself. How is that ever going to work? My son can't concentrate on anything for more than 30 seconds. Hmm, well, I'm tearing my hair out. I thought I will try anything at this point. And it bought me a full and golden 45 minutes to clean up the kitchen, start to make a dent in my laundry Everest. And it got me thinking a little differently as to how his busy toddler brain was actually working. Susie's 1.3 million follower Instagram account of nearly free or zero-cost creative, exploratory and innovative activities for tabies and toddlers alike is unbelievable testament to the service she's providing for so, so many women stuck at home, staring at our phones or the clock and waiting for the time to tick by. It came as absolutely no surprise to me that her followership boomed so much in the pandemic where so many women and their children were deprived of the typical plethora of activities that keep both ourselves as mums and our babies sane. Early toddlerhood is tough. From about 10 months to 18 months in particular, depending on the development of your toddler, they are semi-mobile or completely mobile, and with a dangerous tendency to try and split their head open at any moment. Their ability to play independently lasts for about five minutes at one year old, so they're easily bored and non-verbal. They're too old for rattles, but too young for colouring. And that lack of two-way communication puts them, and you, in a tough spot. So, in comes the miraculous busy toddler. Chatting with Susie and thinking back to that time where I first discovered her made me remember vividly just how physically exhausting it was to spend the whole day essentially wrestling with your young toddler, trying to keep their focus and keep them happy, all while holding their little hands as they pootle about with your back bent in half. Okay for twenty minutes, but after a few hours, which turns into day after day, it's grueling. And if they're anything like my son, they might still not be sleeping through the night either. A lethal combination. So. The sheer creativity that Susie puts into her ideas, her page and her site, and the wonder that she clearly experiences from the inside out when talking about the magic of the toddler is absolutely extraordinary. I genuinely hung up the call feeling inspired, grateful, and in awe of how wonderful this age that gets such terrible press actually is. On a form that I send out to guests to fill in before we record, she called herself just a stay-at-home mum when the reality is clearly something very different. A published author and thought leader on early childhood, Susie is a saviour of mums all over the world, feeling hopelessly stuck and desperate at home and in the throes of mum guilt for yet another hour of iPad when you just need to get something done. Her kindness, empathy and down-to-earth attitude about what she calls actual parenting is a breath of fresh air fighting back against what she called the Pinterest perfection to give mums a clear, simple and accessible recipe book to keep your toddler or taby, well, busy. No joke, Susie's calling is just clearly what she does now. Her background as an elementary school teacher combined with a difficult struggle to actually get to children with her husband were perhaps contributing factors to what she does now. But I don't know, and I think you'll agree with me. I get the sense with Susie that she was sort of born to do what she does now, and the passion with which she does it was absolutely inspiring. It was my great privilege and pleasure to interview the fabulous Susie Allison. Welcome, Susie. Hi. I am so excited. I'm going to have to seriously rein it in for this particular episode. I'm so grateful that you're joining me.
1: Oh, it's nothing. Absolutely nothing. Just a little bit of an early wake up to make our time zones align. (laughs)
0: Yes, exactly. Of course, there's like multiple time zones in America, just completely (laughs) forgotten. And then I was like, wait, Pacific daylight? What does that mean? I had to Google it. I had no idea.
1: I really Uh, set you on a rabbit chase just to figure out time zones. I'm into it, actually. See, this is me being like a full service education site.
0: (laughs) Exactly. So for people who don't know who you are, where are you based?
1: So I'm Susie and I run Busy Toddler. I'm out of Seattle, Washington, up on the very tip top of America. And I run an Instagram account and a website that ended up having a life of its own that I didn't anticipate when I started it in my early stages of motherhood. But now we're over, well over a million followers on Instagram. We're at 1.3 million. And my website gets over a million hits every month. And it is just a wild journey that I really never anticipated being on. But I am so grateful and couldn't imagine my life any other way than this.
0: This is the thing, right, because a lot of my listeners are British and I bang on about Susie's account all the time because it's just so useful. And so many people have said, Busy oh, I've never heard of it. And then they click on it and they're like, oh, my God, this woman is (laughs) really famous. I'm like, yes, she is.
1: (laughs) And I just don't think of it that way. And I think maybe that's part of being able to post. It would be so Anxiety ridden to say, I'm going to go put this out in front of 1.3 million people and let's hope for the best. And so I just have to take a deep breath, not think it's, about it sometimes. Exactly. And you would never think it. It just seems like you've just done it
0: off the cuff. It looks simultaneously very relaxed and also very professional, which is enviable.
1: Thank you. I think it is very <laughs> off the cuff. Like sometimes people will be like, well, but you're a professional. You know what you're doing. And I'm like, am I though? or am I just a mom who has a really giant Instagram account (laughs) so I will just describe how
0: Susie and I know each other and we don't know each other I've shamelessly stalked Susie for ages on Instagram and then because it's 2021 and we all know that last year was just so insane I had a little resolution for myself for the second series of this podcast where I was just like you know what I'm just gonna aim really high and the people that I would desperate to interview. I'm just going to keep emailing them until it happens. And I emailed Susie once and got a reply and I basically fell off my chair. I'm not kidding.
1: (sighs) That is how we know each other. You wrote me and it was the nicest little email. And I said, yes, of course. I love helping a new business. I I was gifted so much in the beginning, just as far as people's generosity towards my business. So I always want to be there for others as they begin.
0: And this says so much to me about why busy toddler has just been so successful, because it's obvious that you just want to help people. And that's exactly what busy toddler does. It's just so helpful. But we're going to go more into that a bit later before I just totally fangirl myself into embarrassment. (laughs) Okay, so I asked this for all my guests, but you said that you're in Seattle, so we know that you're there. But what can you see in front of you?
1: Oh, I'm in my master closet right now, which, as we talked about a little bit ago before we started recording, is much different than what your British audience will be thinking. So I'm not trapped in a cupboard. (laughs) I made an American closet, which is a very large room with the wardrobe. I've got my own personal desk. I've got like the big shoe thing. It's not like one of those Hollywood master closets, but it's a very nice space. So I do have a little table and I'm looking at all my clothes, which are mostly color coded. I've done a pretty good job, but there's also a lot laying on the floor that I'm just pushing around with my foot.
0: In my head, I've got like a kind of Kardashian home edit type closet closet. Yeah, but I would
1: like (laughs) I would take that down like five notches and make the clothes haphazardly hung a little inside out. And then a lot of stuff just balled up and pushed into its place. And then you've got where I'm sitting in. (laughs) Tell me about your family. So I married my husband, Chuck, back in 2005. So we've been married for a very long time. And we've been dating since uh, the first day of college. And it just was the two of us. And it's always been the two of us. We were blessed to have our children. We ended up being very infertile on both sides of the ball. And it was a struggle. But we were blessed eventually through IVF to have our oldest son, Sam, in 2013. And then as the fates would have it, a year later, we were pregnant with our daughter, Kate, a complete medical surprise. It fits her personality. Once you know her, then you're like, yeah, you were coming into the world no matter what the doctor said. And then we rolled the dice and we were blessed to have Matt 20 months after Kate. And so we have three kids now. They're all 20 months apart. Sam's just about to turn eight, which feels unbelievably old to me. Kate's six and Matt is four. And we're just rolling a nice little party around here. It's quite a little herd and we have a really good time. 2005 to
0: you said sam was born in 2013 is that right that's a long time to be thinking about
1: kids and not being able to have them
0: and ivf is such a huge thing to go through
1: It was very big, but yeah, it was a long time. And especially when Chuck and I had been dating since 2001 and then we got married in 05. And so for us, it was 12 years of just us, which was an incredibly long time, but also as much as I hated walking infertility, now I look back and it was so fun just being us for 12 years. And we always joke that when the kids do finally grow up and we do end up being, quote, the empty nesters, that for us, it'll just be going back to normal. (laughs) I hope that doesn't sound terrible. We're not ready to get rid of our children. But we had so long where it was just us that the idea of it being just us again, it's not this weird, wow, what will that feel like? It's, well, that'll be back to normal. The way that we ran this for a long time before those guys showed up. Just be like
0: 25 years or something and not normal. (laughs) And then back to normal. normal.
1: And then back to normal. So it'll be good. I'll let you know how it goes when we get there.
0: And then the number of guests that I've had actually on that have had fertility treatment and then end up having surprise kids afterwards. That must have been a crazy experience as well.
1: It was. For us, it was a very diagnosed infertility. It wasn't unknown infertility. Yes, like we yeah. knew why this wasn't working. We knew from my side and we knew from Chuck's side why this wasn't working. And with Chuck's side, there were surgeries. And with my side, hormone treatments from the IVF. The doctors really did feel like what had been a miss within my body that Sam hit the reset button and it just jump started it back to what it needed to be. And Kate proved that. Shockingly proved that. <laughs>
0: And I always think about this with American guests, just the cost of IVF, because obviously we're very blessed in the UK to have the NHS and IVF is free on the NHS, but not multiple rounds. So you have one round. Just rub it in. I'm sorry, I don't mean to at all. But anytime I go into a hospital, I do just think to myself, I cannot get over the fact that places don't have universal healthcare. I can't even get over it.
1: It is an unbelievable amount of money in the United States for just the child birthing process, getting pregnant and then having the child. And we were very fortunate that at the time we had really great health insurance. So we were only paying a couple hundred dollars for the births. And we're talking like 20 times lower than what our friends paid out of pocket to birth their children. These were very vaginal, traditional, nothing went wrong, no hiccups kind of deliveries, not like a C-section or anything. And they're paying out of pocket $8,000. And that, I think some people listening would say, well, that's low. Like I did. I paid more than what, that. And it is really wild. And then for us, it's normal.
0: It is so crazy. My aunt is obviously British, but she married a Canadian and for a while they were based out in LA and she had her child there. And I remember her saying that the bill was something like $7,000 or whatever. And then she had her next child in back in Canada and she just got a $51 bill <laughs> <laughs> or something and was like, oh, that's nice. Oh, <laughs> that's refreshing. There we go. Um, but obviously you've made this entire empire out of busy toddler so I want to ask you what did you do pre-baby because obviously that's the massive foundation to where you are now
1: Yeah, I was a teacher. I was an elementary school teacher in the States and I taught kindergarten and first grade. And then within my school district, I did a little more than that. I was in charge of helping train teachers and teach teachers how to teach math and then also how to teach a specific reading curriculum. And I knew once I had a child that all of my salary from teaching would go into daycare costs. And there was just such an imbalance there. And so I knew I was going to need to be a stay-at-home mom and give up my salary and give up my career because otherwise I was literally just paying for daycare in order to go to work and so I just decided well, I'll take the time and I really want to do this. I've worked so hard to have this baby at this point. And I I left teaching in 2013 then when I had Sam and started this kind of stay at home journey. I loved it. I loved it. But it was an adjustment to to stop working. That was a big adjustment.
0: Mm, A huge adjustment. And to have gone from 12 years of solo time with Chuck and just enjoying your life and enjoying your marriage and having all that independence and ability to travel, etc. It sounds like you were very at peace with the fact that You were going to be a stay-at-home mom, but at the same time, for anybody, it is a bit of a bomb going off in your life when you have a baby. So how was that for you?
1: For us, it was fine. The transition from not having a kid to having a kid, at that point, we were so ready for it. And I think that was a big difference is we just were so beyond ready. It was something that we so badly wanted. But even still at the same time, I remember after Chuck went back to work after two weeks to stay home with me and Sam, it must have been like a week or so in that I remember sitting by myself eating lunch and just looking around and being like, oh, my gosh, this is my life now. This overwhelming feeling of I don't know what's going on around me and I miss my friends and I miss Talking to people during the day, and I, I I miss thinking about different complex things with children and how we're going to get them to learn and how we're going to do this and how we're going to teach that teacher and and I remember vividly taking a picture of my empty kitchen table with my little plate there where I'd sat by myself and I remember sending it to my teacher friends and just saying I I miss you and they wrote back mm-hmm. at lunchtime saying oh we miss you too and but it was this feeling of loss that I had really closed this chapter of my life but I did not yet know what the next chapter was going to be there were pluses and there were minuses to those moments
0: I know that lots of people in the UK do something just called NCT which is like an antenatal class I think you have an equivalent called like Lamaze class or something that, that's America. before
1: the baby's born
0: uh, okay yeah. so that's just like
1: childbirth prep yep yeah.
0: Uh, but do you have, so in the UK, it ends up becoming your circle of mum friends because you're all giving birth at the same time. You all end up having a WhatsApp group and you share, oh my God, the baby went to sleep at 4am or whatever. Do you have that mm. same kind of community no, or not really? we
1: don't. No, we don't. Oh. There are certain like smaller versions that are like private and you can join those like private groups. But as far as the system, no, I was really fortunate when I had Sam and we joked that we were supposed to have Sam three, four years earlier. But by the time <laughs> we actually did have Sam, I was really lucky My three other best friends, we all had babies within six months of each other.
0: (gasps) And so in that
1: respect, we formed our own postnatal group, just being us. And specifically one of the other gals, we had the babies 10 weeks apart. And she was also a teacher and she was also making the choice to stay home. And so for the two of us, we formed like an alliance. (laughs) And even just having her, like you're saying, to just text in the morning and say, well, that didn't go well last night. (laughs) (laughs) And just to have one person was so amazing. And so then for me to think about having no one to text, that breaks my heart. It just Mm. breaks my heart. Mm. And I always say to people on Busy Toddler, I'll be that person. Just write me, (laughs) email me. (laughs) Oh,
0: so sweet. Yeah. And this is the thing. It is just so lonely in the beginning. That loneliness is is so real and so difficult to deal with. So that's amazing that you had those friends.
1: Very lucky. And
0: would you say it's a common thing in elementary school teaching that people would just not go back?
1: I would say it's common, but I would say it's an understandable thing based on the area you live in the United States and how high childcare prices are and daycare prices. So for me, as an elementary school teacher in the Seattle area, most of my salary would have gone to daycare and I would have been working for a really minimal amount of money each month. We could coupon and we could pull back and we could save other ways to try to make up the difference. But by the time I had Kate, then there was no question anymore. Once you have two kids in daycare, that wasn't going to work for us. So it it is just such an interesting system over here, how it all works. And those costs are unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah,
0: Yeah, they are. And to be perfectly honest, we have the same problem here. So I think there are some structural things that just haven't been sorted out and some places in mainland Europe so obviously Sweden and Denmark and the Netherlands it's all free childcare, which is just wild to me because it's <laughs> just amazing yeah, yeah it's absolutely amazing but I think the UK and the US just definitely haven't really sorted it out yet
1: hopefully they will
0: it's okay we'll just do it with a busy toddler in this podcast <laughs> we'll, we'll fix it we'll fix um, it so before we started recording you were saying that Chuck is a very equal parent and you guys really split things down the middle. And I'm really curious about that, because given that you had to not go back to work, basically, and end up staying at home, that must be quite a tricky balance to then strike, because it must just be so automatic for you to do everything in the beginning.
1: Yeah, in the beginning, I had a C-section. So to deliver Sam, who was 11 pounds. Oh, what? (laughs) He was huge. And I am not a tall person. I am very short. I'm only 5'4". But my husband is very tall. And he had been a 10 and a half pound baby. And my sister was a big baby. So it was like it was coming at me from all genetics. I was just destined to have giant children. And so at 39 weeks, I had a C-section. And I think throughout my entire pregnancy, Chuck, and especially with infertility, he had walked that road with me. We were so equal in trying to get to parenthood and it had taken us so much to get there. And then with my pregnancy, he was at every doctor's appointment. He was at at everything I did. He was there. And when Sam was born then and I've had the C-section for Chuck, he just took that as, okay. her job has to stop right now. She's carried this baby for nine months. Now I carry the baby essentially so that she can heal. And that was the role he took. He left for work two weeks later, and I looked at him and said, and where are the diapers? Because I had not changed a diaper (laughs) yet at two weeks. I was like, so where is everything? What have you put? And how do I swaddle this thing here? (laughs) Because I had just been resting, and Chuck would just bring me the baby, and, and I would bond that way, and then Chuck would leave, and I would sleep. He just had this way about him that there was no question to him what his role was going to be and his fatherhood was going to be equal to a motherhood. And that was just this was going to be parenthood for us. And so Chuck's knowing then after two weeks what it's like to be with a baby all day when he would come home from work, he his clothes. And we've always joked that he would come home and we'd like high five, clap out. And then the position changed. And he became the primary parent and I was more of the support role. And I would be doing the things like drawing the bath, putting the kids' clothes on the bed, pulling the books for bedtime, whereas he would be downstairs doing the heavy lifting and being with them and and roughhousing and running around and doing all these things. And when Chuck was going to work and then coming home, his commute to work was rather long. He would drive for 45 minutes to an hour each way. So he would say, I've already had two hours by myself to listen to my music, sing my songs, do my things. (laughs) He's had lunch by himself. He's gone to the bathroom by himself. He's fed himself as the priority instead of other people. And he's talked to people all day. He's gotten to get up from his desk and walk around and stretch his legs. And he's like, I've accumulated throughout the day all these moments of not working, essentially. So then when he came home to then take over that role for really only two or three hours before the kids would go to bed, it was perfect for him to really get back in there with the kids and reestablish things with them. And it's
0: so empathetic and lovely to hear that he was thinking about it in that way, because it's so true. And obviously, women know this, mums know this, they know that when they're like, I just want to drink a cup of coffee that's hot, or I just want to actually eat lunch before 3pm, before the baby's napping or whatever, and they just haven't all day. But I think to have a husband that's that just understanding and just, yeah, just empathetic, I guess.
1: I think one of the big tenets of our marriage or principles that we've lived by since since we started dating, really, but especially since we started marrying, is that you just don't throw the other person under the bus. You do everything you can to support that other person's life and to help that other person to be their best self and for their life to be easier. That's what we've always been. It's just, I want your life to be as easy as possible and then vice versa. He wants my life to be as easy as possible. And that's how we were for 12 years. So by the time children got added... I think for him in his mind, it was, well, I'm not going to add this all onto her plate while not accepting it onto mine. That would throw her under the bus. That would not be fair. That would be like the basis of our whole marriage is just you support the other person and you help their life as much as you can. And so that was when I was talking to you earlier about yesterday, uh, we were getting ready to go to the beach and and I needed to do my Instagram runs and, and get my post up and then be present for the community. But I also needed to get three kids out the door for the beach. And instead of trying to juggle that or stewing within myself, I just walked out and I said, we're going to go to the beach today. I have to get my work done. I need you to get the kids ready and get everything packed. And he just said, great. And he stood up and walked away. And when I came downstairs 30, 45 minutes later, the kids were all dressed. They were sunscreened. The bags were packed. The apples were cut up and everything was just waiting there. And And it was great. And for us, that's how it should be. I needed to do what I needed to do, but also we needed to have the kids ready. And so instead of me trying to handle all of that, it's equal. It's an equal partnership.
0: So how was your pregnancy in general? Obviously, you wanted it so, so badly. So it must have been the most incredible feeling to feel pregnant.
1: So exciting. And it was just a very boring pregnancy, just a very straightforward. There was nothing to it, nothing about it that was in any way odd other than the fact that I was just absolutely enormous. And every time we'd go in for a measurement or anything like that, they'd say, are you sure when you conceived? And I'd say, yeah, and I can give it to you to the minute if you want <laughs> With IVF babies in the States, they do a special little heart check because, and I'm not a medical doctor, but I guess the IVF babies sometimes have a higher risk of a certain heart issue. So they want to do a double, triple check on that around 30 weeks. And I remember going in at 30 weeks and they measured and they measured and they keep looking at me and this belly and they're like, are you sure you know? And I was like, yeah, I am pretty sure I know. You you know I'm an IVF patient. Yeah. And they said, well, this baby's already five pounds this baby's like a 35, 36 weeks along looking. And I was like, yeah, I know that's how it's been the whole time. And so I just knew in my gut, this kid is going to be so big. Chuck had been 10 and a half pounds. I knew this child is huge. And then we went in for a doctor's appointment, just a normal one at 38 weeks, three days, I think this one was. And it was just like the normal 38 week appointment. And I said something like, well, how big will they let this baby get? And she's like, the doctor, oh, it's fine. Babies would have to be over 11 pounds by now. And she's like, that just doesn't happen. And then she starts touching my stomach and the look on her face just dropped. And she's like, I need you to go get an ultrasound right now. And I said, it's huge, isn't it? And she said, yeah, it's pretty big. And so we went downstairs right then to ultrasound and the tech was also laughing was like, oh, we just never see big babies like this. So I'm sure the doctor just felt wrong. And then I I watched her face drop and I watched her leave and come back. (laughs) And she said, we have the estimate. Do you want to know what it is? And I said, yeah. And she said, well, it's 11 pounds, three ounces is what oh we think God. this baby is at 38 weeks. At
0: 38 weeks. At 38 weeks. weeks.
1: And so then the doctors with our hospital system was not comfortable with their insurance on a delivery over 11 pounds. And so they just called for the C-section then four days later. And when Sam was born, as he was born, he peed everywhere, just Like they said, it was like a fountain shooting out of him, and then he still weighed eleven pounds on the scale. So they were like, for sure, the ounces of pee counted.
0: What was going through your head? Because to only find out that late in the game that oh, actually, I'm going to have to have a (laughs) C-section. That was was devastating.
1: Devastating, and and that was devastating because I felt as though my body had failed me to get pregnant. That was a very humbling experience. And to have that just taken away and, and to be someone who loved children so much and to have dedicated their life to children and then to not be able to have them without significant help was devastating. And then throughout the pregnancy, I had decided that I, I wanted to try for a natural childbirth as best I could. I wanted something natural. I was clinging to something natural. I just wanted something to go right. And then to be hit at 38 weeks that no, not only are you not going to have this child vaginally or get that birth experience in any way, but now we're going to do this C-section and you're essentially forced into a C-section that I didn't ask for. That was a really painful day. And I was really lucky. Chuck had gone back to work after that appointment and we were waiting for the doctor to call to basically say, you're going to need a C-section. And I happened to pick up my best friend in the car, and we were going to go get lunch. And she was there as I got that phone call. And I will always be grateful for, like, someone being with me for that moment and for her being there to hold my hand and say, you know what, take a deep breath. This idea of birth has been ripped away from you. Yes, we didn't think this was going to happen. You know, having walked that road with me for all those months, she had such clarity to say, we weren't going to get this baby. And now we're going to get this baby and we're going to get it out healthy. And we have no question this baby is coming. And it was just this moment of being like, yes, I need to shift my perspective back from the things that I've lost to the things that I'm gaining. And we were at a moment with our infertility journey where we were walking into the infertility clinic knowing that at the end of that appointment, we were going to find out if we were going to have biological children or if we were going to be going another route to have children. And so we'd already faced these interesting crossroads in parenting before even becoming parents. And so to have this moment of, you're right, like, we aren't having the baby the way we wanted to have the baby, but my goodness, we're having a baby. And that really was this dream that had so almost escaped us.
0: And it's very hard because if you've never had a baby before, you're so fixated on the birth because that's the only thing that you can really see up to like you know that you'll have a baby afterwards but you don't know when it's going to happen it's this mythical process and you sort of feel like well I want this to be this amazing beautiful journey and then to have someone be like look this isn't really going to work for the following reasons is really crushing so to find out at 38 weeks that is tough really tough (laughs)
1: Yeah, it was tough. And and same with you. I remember reading something at some point years later, and they were talking about the birthing process from the C-section mom's point of view. And it was this beautiful line where they said, if you want to see courage or bravery, watch the woman lift herself pregnant onto an operating table to be cut open awake. Yes. I, I just had Sam and I was getting ready to have Kate also be a C-section because the pregnancies were so close together and thinking, yeah, I, I really did do something very brave. Like it I wasn't the brave that I wanted it to be, you know, giving birth vaginally, but it was incredible. Now I look back at, the, at those three C-sections and I am so grateful I had these healthy babies and I always joke I've had three kids, but I've never had a contraction, <laughs> which is kind of a fun fact for my life. I can look back on it now and I can be OK with it and have total peace. And whenever I talk to a parent going through the birthing process, I'm going to have a C-section. I just say it will be OK. If you're grieving it, the, the pain will go away eventually. And it really will. And for me, it went away the moment that they pulled out Sam. And that for us was the trauma of infertility the second they held him up. It was like, yep, and I'm fixed, <laughs> which is <laughs> and not to say that in like a naive way, but it was like, and there we go. And there's the punctuation on the end of that story. And let's start the new one. And it was a great moment.
0: And it's, it is amazing. It's like the Simba. They like lift the child. Yeah, they do. The, and you expect this like, ah, so better yeah, uh, like I really music. wanted that. <laughs> but it is just as I can imagine if you have a vaginal birth and baby pops out and it's this real like, the, oh my God moment. You're going to have the same moment. No matter how your baby is born, you're going to have that oh my god moment this has just happened
1: and it is such a wild moment I remember when they were lifting Sam out the first thing I said was is he huge because I didn't want to have gone through all (laughs) this and then they're like oh you know we were off here's your like six and a half pound (laughs) (laughs) and the doctors are laughing everyone is laughing the doctor pulling him out and the midwife that was assisting and all these NICU nurses because They didn't know if this child was going to have complications from being so large. Mm -hmm. And as they're pulling him out, they're like, get him on the scale. And then they're yelling, (laughs) no, he's like, he's losing (laughs) weight. And Chuck got to do the skin to skin, which was at that point, again, going back to like our partnership, I felt like I had held Sam for nine months after we had worked for years to have this child. And so then to have Chuck be the first one to hold him, it just felt really poetic that here I've held him for nine months. You get the first hold. Because you've been equal in how tough this road has been for us to get this child. And I remember them wrapping her up. And both Chuck and I looked at her and we just said, oh, my gosh, she's so little. And the doctors looked and go, she's nine and a half pounds. (laughs) And we were like, well, our perspective is a little off. So she's just the daintiest little peanut. And they're like, that child is huge. And one of the nurses had to go across the street to buy us size one diapers because they couldn't jam her into a newborn.
0: I can't even believe that. And nine and a half pounds for the second one. The second one? That's just crazy. And what about Matt?
1: He was only 10-1. Only. He was only 10-1 at 39 weeks. So also very dainty.
0: But also, you are not a big person. No way. You could not have pushed these babies out. No. No way.
1: From six months, five months pregnant on, I would be asked, "When are you due? Are you due next week? When are you having this baby? Oh, so close!" And I would just smile and say, "Uh huh, uh huh, yeah, so close, so close, <laughs> yeah, so close,
0: halfway <laughs> done." It's just, okay. I'm amazed. My husband was nine and a half pounds and everybody always says, oh my God, first baby. That's so yeah. huge. But yeah, apparently not. I think we win the prize. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> so the question I really want to get to is how did these three babies then get to Busy Toddler? So when did Busy Toddler start?
1: So I think I always had it inside of me because I was really busy aunt for a long time. And I have my adorable niece who even now she's 12 years old and she'll come over and she'll say, what projects do you have? Because that was my culture with her is why we would do these fun activities. So she really was the original busy toddler. But I had Sam and he was 20 months old when Kate was born. And I really felt very lost after Kate. I desperately missed Sam. I talk about missing my friends from work. And now I look back and think how trivial that was because really what ended up happening when I had Kate was I missed Sam. I I had this little buddy for a year and a half. We had a good thing going. And now we had this and everything had to shift. And when you have your first baby, you get to curate everything around them. Your whole life, you get to curate the nap time. And when you're going to run to the grocery store and you get to plan these different things, but when you have your second baby that baby just gets lumped on in (laughs) and you can't really as much curate their nap time or plan their different things. But I still wanted that experience for Kate. I still wanted her to have a nap schedule and I wanted her to have kind of some of the things that her older brother had gotten. But that also meant a big shift for Sam and me on how our routine was and how our schedule was. And I started just to feel really lost and incredibly overwhelmed by this idea that I had two kids under two. That hashtag is not a joke. (laughs) Whoever came up with that one. And I always say childhood is And siblings is interesting no matter if they're 20 months apart or they're 20 years apart. It's different. And I remember one night, and I've told this story often on my site, I was, oh, like seven, eight weeks postpartum. And so at this point now, I have a 21, 22-month-old and an eight-week-old, seven, eight-week-old. And I have her in the little bouncer chair on the floor of the kitchen. And Sam is toddlering all around me. And I get this idea that I need to be back to me and I've got to just get back. I've just got to get back to the way Sam and I were before. And I'm going to solve this problem by doing a brand new Martha Stewart recipe (laughs) from a cookbook (laughs) that I rarely used. And this was going to solve all my problems. And that is just such flawed thinking. And I think anybody outside of postpartum would be like, what are you thinking? But anyone in postpartum is like, this sounds entirely normal to me. (laughs) You know, this sounds exactly right. And so I start making this dinner and I have these pictures even from it of Sam like pulling out all the utensils from the drawer and and things aren't going well. And eventually I have the babies screaming in the bouncer and the dinner is burning and I drop my cell phone in the sink of all the water and dirty dishes and everything. And I pick it up and I'm holding it and I dump it into a bin of rice because I remember that kind of idea that like, oh, if you put your phone in rice, it'll save it. And we don't have two nickels to rub together at this point. So I just, I lost it. And I'm sitting on the floor and I'm crying and Sam is trying to comfort me because he's the oldest and that's what they do. And he's saying it okay, mommy, as he would (laughs) say he's 20 months old. And eventually Chuck came home with McDonald's and he laughed. He's really this is what you were doing? This is what you thought was (laughs) this is what you thought was a good idea tonight. Yeah. I had grand plans. Did he wait, did he know that this had happened? I had to email him. Oh no. I obviously didn't have my phone. And, you know, just kind of laughing. He cleaned up everything as he always does. And they said, wait seventy two hours and try to turn your phone on again. I turned it on. It's great. But then I had all this rice left over and I was like, what am I gonna do with this? What am I supposed to do? And I had one of those flashbacks to being in Sunday school and being in the church basement and being at this table. And I remember the table being full of cornmeal. And I was like, oh, I bet I could put this in a bin. And Sam would think it was fantastic. I rushed all around our house looking for what would be a big bin to put this in. And I found an under the bed storage container that was full of stuff from college we didn't need anymore. I dumped it all out and I tossed the rice in and I was like, well, I'll put in some kitchen utensils. And then I just sat him next to it. And I was like, and play figure out how to play with this. And he did. And I remember him being entertained for so long. And at the time, I didn't know what I'd made was a sensory bin. I just knew it was amazing. And I'd used the rice. And now my toddler was not glued to Daniel Tiger. And I could sit <laughs> and nurse the baby. And I could swaddle the baby. And he could do something. And I had this glimmer of, this could work for us. I could set up little activities like I used to with Lucy to buy myself some time and, and to reconnect with Sam. And so what I started doing is as Kate would go down for her morning nap, I'd come downstairs, I'd turn off the TV because he definitely would have been watching TV while I rocked the baby down for her nap. And I would get time to reconnect with him. And that's what I had been so missing was this connection with him and this chance to just be the mom that I had been before the baby came and to have that kind of moment with him and to feel like we were connected again and that TV wasn't raising him, but that I was actually keeping up my end of the bargain. And I would just put together these little activities, but we didn't have money to run out and and go to Hobby Lobby and all the craft stores and buy 57 different items that cost $182 and set it up over the next 36 hours. And then your toddler will play with it for five minutes. I felt like that was what everything Pinterest said was. And I was like, well, I can't afford this and I don't have this kind of time. So we just started taking stuff around the house and and doing what felt really natural to me. And it, it started working and I started feeling like me again. And we're talking like I'm spending two minutes putting something together and then Sam would sit and play with it and I could chat with him or I could have my coffee or I could do the dishes. But I just felt like it brought a little bit of peace. And even though it's counterintuitive to be like, well, but you brought yourself more work. I did. But that little bit extra that I had to do to try to get things feeling really normal again, that two minutes of prep that bought me the ability to do laundry and the ability Mm -hmm. to take a shower and the ability to blow my hair dry or put my makeup on and, and to breathe a little bit, but also to have conversations with him and not feel like I was just dumping him in front of the TV, which is what I'd been doing while Kate napped because I was so tired. What else was I supposed to do? And so by a few months later I started thinking I wonder if other people would be interested in these kinds of activities and it was 2015 and I was mostly on Instagram at the time poking around there and I was noticing that well nobody shares activities over here like they're all on Pinterest and they're all on blogs but I don't have time to go look through someone's blog to find like a good activity like I don't have time for that and Pinterest was leading me down the road of you're going to spend a thousand dollars on craft supplies <laughs> I didn't have that either. And so I just was like, well, I wonder if I should pick a name. And and this would maybe this would give me like a goal to like do an activity every day or twice a day with Sam. And I just started looking around. I found the name Busy Toddler hadn't been taken. I thought, well, that's great. I have toddlers. Future Susie will deal with when I don't have toddlers. Not that this account will ever be around anymore. It's just for me and the kids. And. I started putting activities up and I started writing everything I was doing in the captions, which was different back then. Everything was a short, one sentence click over to my blog to read the whole thing. And I was like, well, I don't have time to click to anything right now. If it's not here, I can't do it. <laughs> so I put all the directions in the caption, which was completely different at the time. And I just started posting. And I didn't even really tell Chuck until a couple of days later. I was like, oh, I started an Instagram account and I've been sharing the little activities. He's just, oh, that's great. And by the end of that first month, I already had 2,000 followers. What? And it was. Yeah, it was just bananas. And it was this, my question being, do other people need help with what to do with their toddlers each day or yes. to make it to nap time without pulling their hair out or sitting and watching TV together the whole morning? And the answer was yes. And the ball started rolling then and, it, and I've never been able to catch up with it.
0: It's, cra- it's absolutely crazy. And if you actually go onto Susie's website and also in her bio, it says making it to naps one activity at a time. And if you're not a mom, it's really difficult to understand what that feels like, but it is dead on because you are looking for those extra minutes just to be able to exactly say just blow dry your hair or put the shopping away or whatever it is. And it does feel crappy just to be parking your child in front of the iPad or in front of your phone all the time. Let's face it, we all do it sometimes. Oh, we all do it
1: sometimes. Yes. Yeah,
0: exactly. But when you actually do have a little bit of time, it's really nice to be able to think, oh, yeah. And the rice is the first thing that I did from your account as well. When I was just at completely at my wits end, and my son was twenty months, twenty-one months, which I do think is quite a tough. That's quite a it tough is. stage. I think between one and two. I keep saying this to people, but I think the taby phase. So yeah, like that's what I call it.
1: Yep, that's what I yes. call it. The taby
0: phase. I yeah, call it, the it is phase. the hardest phase.
1: Yeah. It's so underrepresented, and people don't talk about it. They say, "Well, my baby just turned one, so I, they're a toddler now." No, you're oh, in purgatory right yes. now. <laughs> you're in purgatory between baby and toddler, and. It was like this is a fully different age group and this needs to be identified and it needs to be talked about because otherwise you end up with parents thinking at 13 months old, well, they need to be doing all these toddlery things, but they're not. And then to me, that just breeds concern and breeds worry and breeds unrealistic expectations of what the child should be able to do when they really aren't supposed to be able to do that. They're only 13 months old, they're not a toddler. And so yes. to me it's just it's it is, it's like a purgatory middle ground between baby and toddler, but it really needs to be talked about more.
0: Totally. I won't name them because I don't want to shame them. But there's like a pack that you can order in the UK. That's like a keeping busy pack or whatever. And someone said, Oh, it's really good. They organize it by age, just send off for it. And in the middle of the pandemic, when just nothing was open, and they would taped up all the swings in the park over here. And it was impossible. It was nothing yeah. to do. I ordered one of these packs and it was like £30. So this is like $40. This is not cheap. And it was full of coloring books and stickers. And my child was 14 months old. Like he was not not there yet at all. It was just such a waste of money. Whereas with something like a sensory bin, like a rice bin or something, what child doesn't love scooping anything? They love it. Do you know what I mean? They just love to scoop.
1: I would say like (laughs) we adults, we cannot see the vision In a bin of rice. For us, it's like, yes, that that is a bin of rice. And kids look at it and they just see, like, endless possibilities. And it it just is so overwhelmingly amazing for them. And it looks scary. I get it. It's like, here, your child that likes to make messes, give them all this rice and see what happens. You're waiting for, like, an internet meme fail to be your entire house. But it really does work. And it really is effective. And and kids learn. I always say no different than the way that kids learn to keep it clean at the dinner table or keep water inside the bathtub. They learn to keep the rice inside the bin. And for the little bit that I've had to vacuum up in my life, it has been it's worth it. well worth it. <laughs> yeah. Well worth it.
0: So you said that was what, 2015? that you Yeah, that? 2015
1: right? was when I started Busy Toddler. Yeah, it was June 2015. So we're just about to hit the six year anniversary with Matt then came along during Busy Toddler. So Kate, obviously, she was a baby. And really, Sam has not a lot of memories before Busy Toddler. I think they all just feel like it's always existed. And, and I think especially Matt, though, being the youngest and Kate and Sam were before Instagram stories, but now with stories being there, Matt, especially, he's just a stage kid. He just loves being like the center of something. He'll be coloring in a coloring book and he'll look up at me. He'll be like, mom, turn the camera on and I'm going to explain to the people how to do this. And his verbiage is so spot on. It's like, and you were raised on Instagram. He's such a showman of it. And he's definitely watched me throughout his whole life of what I do. He just is my memory kid where he just internalizes everything and remembers everything. So he sees what I say on camera and he just instantly can say it back. And so it's pretty funny. For them, it's very normal life. And I remember the first time we got recognized in public years ago and Sam came home and told dad, somebody recognized mom from Infogram. Infogram. Oh, that's so And I remember so cute. just dying laughing. And Sam now being almost eight, has some sense of scope of what it's become. He definitely has an understanding that this isn't really what most parents do. Yeah. <laughs> This is a bit odd. And I, and I also think that he's had enough experiences where he's been with me and run into families. And, and they've said to him, and they're always very generous, especially to the kids to say, you've really helped me. And I think that's been something that's been really nice for the kids to hear is the impact that they've had on families and that it isn't just me that's putting these things out. It's by them being a part of this that they've had this great impact. And the other day I was putting an activity together and I, I remember saying whatever it was I was saying. and He looks at me, he goes, mom what did people do before Busy Toddler? And <laughs> I, <don't> I know. <laughs> burst out laughing. I said, well, I survived, Sam. So they can survive. But That's because you were it was Busy Toddler. That's know, why you survived. It was just so funny. He's like, he just, he does have some sense of the impact that he's made, especially being that he was the first. And now we're entering the era of more of their consent with things. And can I take your picture for this? this is what I'm going to do with it. Yep, absolutely, totally. Or they will say, you know, no, I'm good today. I don't really want to have my picture for this. Can we move away.
0: You said you had 2000 followers after one month. To be perfectly honest, the other day I looked and it was 1.2. And then I looked <laughs> again, and it was 1.3. So I was like, okay, this is just silly now. This is just ridiculous. And have you seen particular points where it's just out of nowhere skyrocketed? Or have there been points where for some reason, something's really taken off
1: Until the pandemic, I would double every year. It was just very steady. And then when the pandemic hit, I had just about 800,000 followers, I want to say. Yeah, a little less, maybe 780 or something like that. And within a month, I had hit a million. So that there was this quarter million right there that that joined us in the space from March 13th to April 13th ish. That was a very fast rush of over 200,000 people. And that was very wild. And then the last year, I think we've grown by 350,000 or something like that from that point when we hit a million to now. And so I think the pandemic was an interesting, obviously, like that kind of shot things up a little bit. But we've been on this very steady just pace. And it's a really interesting growth with Busy Toddler because like you said, where your sister-in-law turned you towards me. And that's what it always has been for me. It's always been word of mouth growth. It's always been This mom finds me or this dad finds me and tells a friend or two. And then that person tells a friend or two. And and that's where it's just this kind of exponential growth of people finding me and this very natural, organic growth of people finding me. And that's been very nice. It's always a friend of a friend finds me. And that's how it's always felt, like a very friendly atmosphere because everybody knew somebody who got them there. It's it's almost very rare that I find someone who's like, oh, yeah, I just found you randomly on the explore page or I found you. It's always, I found you for my sister. My brother yes. said to follow you. My kid's preschool teacher follows you. There's always a connection back. And that is really nice. And that makes it always, for me, feel like there's a closeness to it. And for the messages I get and the emails I receive and so like that, it, it has always felt like a really nice, safe environment, despite it being that many people. <laughs>
0: I think... From everything I've seen on your page, it is a super friendly atmosphere and it's so warm and so welcoming. And that's obviously why it's been so successful. Have you ever had experiences where you've questioned what you're doing or thought, Mm. oh, maybe I shouldn't do this anymore? No, I
1: think it's not like I started yesterday and then boom, we were at this moment. Mm. It's a very frog in boiling water where we just slowly walked, and not even very slowly, but we just walked our way to this point. And that was really nice as a family to be able to readjust as we needed to, to be able to just slowly work our way into everything. Like, okay, how will this fit into our lives? How will we make this aspect work? Or what will we do here? And to just have it be a very slow and steady walk as opposed to just being dropped in. We've always had this chance to readjust and to think about and process how do we want to move forward with this we've always had a chance to really keep things really even and steady and within the boundaries of our lives. And that has been really nice to be able to know how to fit things in with our lives without truly without oversharing too much. And I don't post everything about my life. And I think that is a little bit of a difference. I've never been an oversharer necessarily on Instagram. I'll go a day or two without posting to stories. Well, nothing happens. So why, why post? And we didn't Mm. do anything. But as far as just people on there, we've been generally very lucky that I've never been bombarded by anything too bad or anything that I can't just go, well, whatever, delete and walk away.
0: Yeah, because I guess it just self-selects, doesn't it? Like you have people who are obviously your friends who follow you in the beginning. And then obviously they have friends. So it's it, it's going to always be people that have yeah. nice intentions rather yeah. than just thinking, oh, I'm just going to be really mean about this woman yeah. for no reason. And which, I always feel
1: like yeah. Instagram is a much safer place than like Facebook. One of my most popular activities is the popsicle bath, which I don't know if you've done that with your little guy yet, but it's where you just give them a popsicle in the tub and you just let them have it. While they're bathing instead of it making this mess around the house or outside, even and it's just sticky and gross, but they can have it in the bathtub. And if my mom has been doing this with us since we were itty bitties, because she always said, If you ever have a problem with a kid, it's water or sun, those are your two answers. Mm -hmm. And so she would always take us up for a morning bath and to have a popsicle, and that kind of resets your day. And I post about this all the time on Instagram, and it's become something I'm pretty known for. I posted about it on Facebook and I think every comment was like, I don't get this. I don't get like, wouldn't the water get on the popsicle? Wasn't that kind of gross? It would just fall. And it's just so funny because it's, that's the difference between Facebook and Instagram is like Instagram. It's just so much kinder. And then Facebook, it goes viral and then it gets in front of people that don't know me and they're like, I don't get it. I don't like it. Pass. That's too much germs. And I just laugh. Then it's a very scary world. I had a list of my favorite things that I
0: wanted just to refer to because some of them are just really funny, but also just really effective. So like the Popsicle bath. So Popsicle, just for British listeners, is just an ice lolly. And yeah, you literally just have a lolly in the bath, exactly as Susie describes. And I haven't done this with my son because the last time I gave him an ice lolly, he cried because it was too cold. So I think we need to wait a little
1: bit longer and then maybe I love, when, like, kids, I love when kids do that
0: <laughs> Yeah, it's just oh it's so funny
1: just switch it to a banana bath just anything in the Ooh, bath just put something yes. in the like a food item in the bath is very calming just switch it up banana bath cheese stick bath anything I love it, rolls. I love it.
0: But this is why I love the page because I don't know how you come up with this stuff. Like obviously the the popsicle bath is something that your mum had, but honestly, so there's something called the dinosaur rescue, which I'm yet to try because I don't have little dinosaurs yet for my son, but you basically get a load of masking tape and stick a load of dinosaurs and then your child picks them up. It is literally as simple as that. How did you come up with this? How?
1: I've seen different versions of just like using masking tape with kids. And I was like, well, why don't I put it on a cookie sheet so it's more transportable and we'll just tape it down and we'll let Matt go wild with it. And he was a taby at the time with it. And he just loved it. And he loved the feel of the tape and pulling it off and then the feel of the dinosaurs. And it just that's an activity I love because, yeah, it took me a minute or two to set it up. But then it takes Matt a while to undo everything. And he would really get into the tape. Now he's been put in front of this little toy and that toy spiked his interest. So now I'm going to get a few minutes of him actually playing with a toy, which is very cool when you're dealing with a tabby. And so for me, I always joke with people that this is my dark gift. Like everybody's got something, you know, there are people that can bake from scratch. I could never tell you how much baking, you know, how much bicarb or how much baking powder needs to go into a recipe. I have no idea. I don't get it. But there are people out there that do. And bless their souls, I will use their recipe and, <laughs> and I will make their cake. And thank you so much for doing that. And to me, that's what I am with activities. And it, it's not about you having the ability to make up an activity from scratch. Use me as a recipe book. No one ever pulls out the recipe book and feels guilty that they don't know how to make a cake from scratch. You're so thrilled to have that recipe there and to be able to follow it and, and get advice from this person who actually bakes and knows what they're doing. But this is something I can do. And let me give you the recipe for it and let me help. And because I'll often hear from parents saying, well, I just feel so uncreative and I I can't do anything unless I copy it from you. And I go, well, great. I can't make a chocolate cake unless I copy it from Betty Crocker. And I'm fine with that. So it's fine. You just take the little recipe. and, And for some reason, I have this ability to stand in front of my supplies, like they're my little ingredients and I can put together my recipe. And, yeah. and that it's just truly just who I am.
0: It's, it's your calling, but it's just it the is. craziest
1: calling. A baker is something we have had <laughs> for like hundreds of years. A baker is just- really normal. <laughs> I figured out how to take yard sale stickers and put them all over my house. <laughs> It's
0: it's amazing, and you are genuinely performing a world service. Like, oh, thank you. If this is a public service; it really is. And I'm not surprised that with COVID, your followership ship just rocketed. It. I'm it not even remotely surprised. Really annoyingly, we're running out of time, so I want to just ask you a couple of questions. But this is really painful for me because I don't want to get off the phone <laughs> from you. So I'm just I'm going to try and pick my questions really carefully. So, where would you love this? to be in 10 years? Because as you said, oh, I'll worry about the fact that they're not (laughs) toddlers later. What will you do when you have a 17-year-old, a 16-year-old and a 14-year-old?
1: What will you do? Chuck always jokes that I released a parenting book back in September called Actual Parenting and the kids love it because it's full of pictures from their childhood. And Chuck says, well, are they going to love it when we release Actual Puberty in a few years? (laughs) (laughs) Which of course we're just joking about, but that's always our joke. I am obsessed with hindsight parenting. And to me, that would be my ultimate calling. And my ultimate dream is to be a more experienced parent and to be able to turn around and look backwards and say to the next generation of parents, this is what didn't work well for me. This is what did. This is what can help you. And I just think that there's so much beauty in hindsight parenting. And I think that was an aspect of the village mentality that existed 100, 200 years ago, where we talk about the the village raised. Well, the village was also a lot of different experiences in parenting. And you had the older, more experienced parents helping the newer parents. And we often look for people who have the kids the same age as us. Well, they're going to help me because we have kids the same age. Yes. But also whenever I get the chance to sit down with a parent right now who has kids in high school or college or even past that, I just want to pick their brain because I want to know everything that I can learn because they did it. They crossed that line. And so I guess over the next 10 years, I hope that I can become that. I hope that I can be that for parents and that I can turn around and say, hey, let me talk to you about what it's like to have a four-year-old. Let's talk about it. Let's unpack being four years old. And so I want to be that someday. And so I don't know how that will look. And I don't know how that transition will fully happen. And I think in some ways it has already started happening. Like I don't have a tabby anymore, but I have great perspective on a TABY and what that is. And I can empathize with it and give tips and things. And so I just want to be able to shift into that role. And I do believe that is really missing from our culture right now. And I'm excited that I get the chance to do that as my kids get older.
0: I I couldn't agree more. I think hindsight parenting is a really beautiful way of putting it because it is very difficult. I think we do forget you get fixated on the fact that, oh, it's brilliant. I've got this friend and she's got a child the same age as mine. But it's not about that. Sometimes you need that wisdom that isn't necessarily your own mum or someone else's mum or whatever that's literally 30 years or more further down the line. You just need someone who's just that little bit older. A little bit older. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Well, you wrote a few things, particular things that you wanted to talk about. And she said ending mom guilt, seeing kids for who they are and not rushing childhood. And I think those particular things I thought were super, super interesting. And I guess I wanted to ask what you wanted to say on those before we closed this conversation.
1: I think as far as, you know, with mom guilt, I have hated that term since the day I became a mom. You are the best parent for your child in this exact moment. And you were given this child for a reason. And I truly believe that. And I often think back to as much as I love Pinterest, I believe Pinterest of all the social medias, people often point to being Instagram with the aesthetics and stuff. But I think a a lot of guilt wrapped around when Pinterest came out was because when we were children, maybe there was the parent in the neighborhood who was unbelievable at doing birthday parties. And you knew going to that birthday party, like, this is going to be amazing. And everybody's (laughs) like, yeah, that mom does that. And it's great. And I'm so happy for her. But what happened with our generation of parents is Pinterest came out and those pictures ended up on Pinterest. And those pictures went from being something that was really great that one person was awesome at. Instead, it became the norm or the expectation. And that really pushed this idea of that we need to be doing everything for our children or this, like, Feeling of I'm not doing that. So then I have to feel guilt for not doing that. And instead, back when our parents were parents, instead of feeling guilty that my mom didn't throw birthday parties like that, she would say, I'm so happy that mom can do that. She's so good at it. How fun for her to have that outlet. And she just didn't feel that sense of guilt the way that we then internalized seeing those pictures and saying, Well, I just, I can't give that to my kid. And I feel so bad about it. And I just wish we could say this is what I can give my kid. I give them love and a stable home and I give them hugs and I'm not going to feel guilty about the things that I can't give them because that's outside of my control. But here's what I can give them and, and we're going to just turn off the noise. Just turn off that noise.
0: And I think it's really interesting that your mom said that and also really big of her because it it's very easy to turn that into jealousy or envy mm-hmm. and basically come across as feeling threatened by that amazing mom who's able to do that and it's so nice and sweet that she was just able to be like that's her thing I guess my thing is something else like, what you called it earlier like my dark gift I love yeah that. my dark gift <laughs> yeah, I love that I love that and I think in terms of seeing kids for who they are I think that's something that you capture really well in the account and just everything you've done so far because I think it reminds you of the simplicity there are so many electronic toys that you could just buy and it's 20 quid here or 20 quid there to buy like another fake laptop for your kid or something that makes loads of noise and beeps and they're really into it for about 10 minutes and then they just switch off. And just the simplicity that you've captured that little kids are very happy to pick a piece of tape off the floor or anything yes. with a cardboard box. Like they're so into the cardboard box for such a long time. And it's a really good reminder of that, which is just that actually a big part of childhood is being really into the things that maybe you're not into, but that's fine.
1: And I think childhood is so full of wonder. And we forget that because, sadly, as adults, we've lost that wonder. And I think it is really important to go back. And sometimes people will say to me, well, aren't you worried that they're going to get bored with this? Or aren't you worried that they'll get bored here or there? And I say, again, this is a group of people that will be entertained by a cardboard box for well over an hour. (laughs) But you're worried that's going to bore them. Like, they're amazing people. They are absolutely amazing little beings. But I think our, not so much like our insecurities, but our expectations of what life should look like from our point of view and what we need to be stimulated and what we need in order to keep our wheels turning is very different than what they need. And we end up pushing that adult value system and that adult way of being stimulated or thinking onto them. When they didn't need that necessarily, what they needed was an empty cardboard box. (laughs) What we wanted to give them was the little computer inside the cardboard box, because we think that would be really fun, because I think that would be really fun to poke around on those buttons and I could see different things to do. But what they see is the possibilities of this box or the possibilities of a bin of rice. And I think there is such a beauty in bringing childhood back to a really simple time, to a time where kids can enjoy a cardboard box and they can enjoy a hose in the yard and they can enjoy just running and and being on a bike or learning how to scoop and pour and i think we have in an effort to make things convenient or in an effort to help our kids we've accidentally complicated things and there is a chance for us to just go back and be like, let's just have a little bit more of an uncomplicated childhood and a a childhood where you just have a little bit more simplicity, that there is that joy in just taking a bath with an ice lolly. And one of the things that I've said for years is there is no prize for finishing childhood first. But for some reason, we're all racing towards that. And I don't know why we're racing towards it when we worked so hard to get them here and we've worked so hard to raise them. Why would we want to rush them forward or rush them older or wish them more when they're so perfect the way they are right now?
0: Oh, I'm like so inspired right now. I hope everyone, I'm like nearly tearing up. I'm not even kidding. Like That is just the most beautiful phrase. There is no prize for there finishing isn't. childhood. It's just so true.
1: Why do we do that? I don't why? know. And then it, and because then we sit and we lament about, gosh, why well, you know, yes. I want to take a nap and I want to sit outside. We want all those things for ourselves right now, but then they have them and yet we're rushing them through it. And instead, why can't we just, See them for who they are right now and just be happy with the, the grade they're in or the age they're in or the level they're in instead of working towards this constant level of prep, like everything's prepped for the next stage. And I just read a quote the other day where it's, it was saying, oh, childhood isn't prep for adulthood. We need to just let them be children. And there is so much beauty in this moment that they're in right now. And we don't need to be constantly thinking about next. Let's just think about now.
0: And hilariously, there's no better example of that than kids to show you about the meaning of the present. That's the crazy irony of it all, is that there is no better person to teach you to live in the moment than a toddler.
1: Yeah, I don't. They can't live in any other you know space they <laughs> just say they they, they don't yeah. have time frame yet they they live in the present and it's so so apparent in everything that they do and all the little joys in their lives and just getting a chance to celebrate all of those and as overwhelming as parenthood can feel it is so exciting every day is a little different than the day before they're getting older you're getting wiser and it, it's just a beautiful journey forward together
0: Honestly, the best conversation I've had in a really long time. I'm so grateful for you joining me.
1: It's been a really fun morning for me because you know, it's morning here in Seattle and Chuck's been off with the kids. So I'm on like a little vacation doing this. I loved oh,
0: amazing. it. Amazing. <laughs> Good. <laughs> well, anytime you want to chat, I am here. I'm here for it. I just listened to you all day. There's it's just so much wisdom in oh, what thanks. you're saying. So <laughs> I do. it's just Wonderful. We already know. But if you want to find Susie Allison, she's at Busy Toddler on Instagram and the website is just busytoddler.com. There are amazing books on there, incredible activities. I'm going to name a couple, which I think are excellent, which is the pom pom drop. And you just need little tubes for that and lots of pom poms. And the pom-pom bath, popsicle bath, there's a million, bath related ones, million baths related A million baths. I'm really
1: into baths right now.
0: <laughs> yeah. Please send my best wishes to your husband, Chuck, and your three kids. And I'm just, I'm very grateful for you coming on and giving up your time and to talk to me. Thank you so much.
1: Of course, anytime. Well,
0: you made it. We've reached the end. Enjoyed it? Drop me a note on Instagram or Twitter at New Leaf Podcast, or better yet, do me a quick rating on iTunes. Have a lovely day. And if you're a parent, have an even better night. Bye, everybody.